Well, for I for, sponsor this show. <laughs> I sponsor this show as a producer. Um, so, so no, be they, funny. They, so be funny, the law. Go. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to the Watchtower Podcast, a new podcast brought to you by Towercast Network, the new network from Tower Productions. Um, this is a pretty cool podcast. Thank you guys for tuning in. Um, Ooh, first one of the I, year. I, I, I've mentioned that this podcast is like the book club of, of podcasts, right? Um, for, at least for us. We just we watch a film, we get together, we talk about it. Sometimes we'll watch the film together. So you'll get to hear our crazy thoughts. And like Mr. Yokomoto said, um, is the first Watchtower podcast of the year. So happy New Year if you're listening into this. Happy 2021. Yeah. Hey, he speaks Spanish now. Look at this. <laughs> I got to be in Spanish. Wow. <laughs> That's why only uh, half the numbers were in Spanish. Right, right. Just half. That's why you got to be. Sure, sure. Uh, I want to introduce pay. these lovely gentlemen that you're listening to and or watch, watching, depending on, on how you're consuming this. Uh, Mr. Michael DeLao. Hi. <laughs> I was gonna say more, but then I wanted to see what you were gonna do, and then and then do that. I, I had something. Wait, I had something like planned. Like I was gonna say, uh, I was gonna say some stupid quote, but then I forgot. So all that came out was uh, <laughs> uh, it wasn't even. It wasn't even. It wasn't even high. It was just the noise of him breathing, exhaling. Uh. <laughs> it was like I was mid breath, and then I had to say something witty and funny, and all that came out was high. But hello, welcome to 2021. I'll be your pilot this evening. Oh my goodness, we're gonna die. We also have Mr. Christian Yokomoto Medina. Oh, why, hello, fellas and fellas. And Mr. Austin Young, making sure we're sounding good. I hope your camera stays on for this episode, Austin, because we all know what you're doing. Howdy. <laughs> Wow. Uh, these are my amazing co-hosts. We are missing the great John Eric Oster for this episode. We do uh, miss him. Which is which is kind of sad, man. I really wanted to hear his perspective on this on this film and this performance particularly. Wait, but since he's not here, yo. Oh, wow. there you go. We have our Thank backup you. actor. We have our backup castle. <laughs> By the way, um, uh if I can just add something onto the podcast. For all of you listening, this is also our first episode where half the group has gotten a new microphone. Exciting. I know. <laughs> oh, yes. yes. Hopefully it sounds finally better than my yes. episode. <laughs> it sounds really good. And hopefully mine sounds really well. Yokomoto. Yeah, definitely. Both of you sound really good. Um, I, I think we've all done something different to our setups. I know Austin and I moved around our uh, his kind of yeah, setup yeah. back home. And then my setup is like my microphone is in a new position that I'm much more comfortable with. So yeah, I think we've all done some, something a little different. I guess I'll post a picture like in the corner or something. I'll put a picture of mine. Nice. I'll put it in this corner. Ah, damn it. I put it in the same direction. This, (laughs) this corner. Just put your hands down, please. Just put your hands down. Let's (laughs) today. We're talking about a very cool, uh, very cool film. This is actually the Lao's choice, uh, which is. is very, if you know the Lao, and if, or if you've listened to many episodes of this show, you you kind of start to get his style, uh, this kind of artsy indie, um, but at the same time, very um, intricate and heartwarming stories. And this is definitely in that Delao vein. Uh, 
I we're mean, talking. You can definitely see a little Lars and, and Michael. Delano oh, oh, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, look at the mustache. Just look at the mustache right now. <laughs> oh man, you we're know talking what? about. Sorry, we're talking about Craig Gillespie's Lars and the Real Girl, uh, 2007 romantic comedy, um, and Lars doesn't have blue hair like the law does, and that's the only disappointment of that film. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I, I swear, Yokomoto, we, we had a watch party uh, yesterday, or no, two days ago, just to kind of get ready for the episode and all that. Ah, mm-hmm. uh, anyway. Um, uh, uh, uh. And the whole time, the, like at the very beginning of the film, they're like, wait, this is just LO, like acting. <laughs> <laughs> like, I th- we kept telling them, like, what, hey, man, so how long did it take to film? Like, were you there for yeah. <laughs> six months or was it like it just got to that point? Oh, my God. Um, it, was, it was a great film, man. I, I want to get into thoughts right now. I just want to kind of knock some stuff out there. It's a 2007 film written by nancy oliver nancy oliver i thought was it was really interesting she she hasn't written much else um she's done a couple of things for true blood and tv stuff um but this was her bir- first kind of big film and uh, hopefully not her last but she really hasn't done much um mm-hmm. she was nominated for an academy award for this film kind of right off the bat man her one of her first big films and, and she got an oscar nod and lost out to juno juno yeah <laughs> Uh, which I'm I'm okay with, although I I will say upon f- completing the film, I told Delal like I love Juno, Jason Bateman. He's he's. Well, Diablo Jason Cody Reitman. was the Reitman. Yeah, yeah, Diablo Cody. No, but I mean, just any Jason Reitman oh, film, yeah. I, I, I'll watch. Man, he's one of my heroes, one of my indie, true indie heroes. Um, and Diablo Cody's a, a in that realm too. I I love Tully. I I love anything Diablo Cody will do too, with the exception of Jennifer's body. Um, but we can we can move on. Actually, we do have to uh, you do have to rewatch that one because it, it hits differently now than than it was when it came out. Okay, okay. Hey, maybe we'll review it for the show. Uh, like it is Diablo Cody one. after all, right? Um, Halloween so preview. yeah, right. Hey, there you go. Um, <laughs> the other los muertos, man. There you would do for that. Uh, no, yeah. But anyways, um, when it comes to 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 that, I actually told Alao, you know what, man? I'm kind of. I kind of feel like this should have won over Juno, and I love Juno. I I love Juno. It's it's one of my it's one of the films that encouraged me to become a filmmaker, oddly enough. Um, but this story was just I don't know. I felt like it was a little more Oscar worthy than Juno was. I, I think mostly because uh, uh, Juno, when it came out, it was a phenomena. <laughs> I mean, especially like that uh, that style of dialogue. It was just oh, kind yeah. of refreshing. Yeah. Uh, although it kind of like petered out like really quick. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. that, that's why it had all the momentum it did it did and the cast was fantastic and and i i'm sure we'll talk about it as it is one of my favorite films of all time but um but yeah i just felt like this one this maybe i'm thinking of more recent oscar years i guess early 2000 or mid to early 2000s was how do i say they were a little more forgiving they they, they kind of liked the the punk rock-esque yeah i remember um uh, Drew Barrymore directed a film called Whip It with Ellen Page, and, and it was it was a pretty great film. I actually really enjoy that film, and it's that same punk rock indie style of a yeah. film. So I think that just that that gap, the the first ten years of, of two thousand was of the two thousands was was a little more forgiving to that style. Um, mm-hmm. I, I how it was it, also it, yeah, it leaned Little Miss Sunshine came out Little mm-hmm. Miss Sunshine. It leaned into that kind of, I guess, genre type just because, I mean, 
the Oscars are about kind of pushing the medium forward as far as yeah, dialogue scripting true. and all that kind of stuff. So this one definitely felt like something that you would see now and all that, or, or yeah, kind of going back yeah. to those traditional stylings. Right. But um, it's it's that's kind of the whole point of the Oscars to see how film evolves to see. Well, how I, I just feel through. like maybe what happened is you had a lot of young voters in the Academy during those sure. years. And, and that defined that kind of era for the Oscars. But regardless, I, I think, I think Lars and the real girl was interesting in that sense that the writer Craig Gillespie's done a, a ton of notable things. I mean, he's uh, Mr. Woodcock is one of the, uh, the actually his directorial debut million dollar arm is a very, very, it's a heartfelt kind of Disney live action picture, which I I thoroughly enjoyed. It's a baseball movie um, with John Hamm in the lead, if I'm not mistaken. And, and hmm. it does really good. Um, I think it's John Hamm. I want, yeah, yeah, it's I John Hamm. John Hamm. And he did. It was probably one of the first leading roles I'd seen John Hamm in. Um, and, and he did I, Tanya uh, most recently with. Uh, with Margot Robbie and that passion project, he directed that. Uh, the most recent thing he's done, I should say, which we haven't, we've caught a glimpse of on in stills, is uh, Disney's Cruella live action depiction of Cruella. De oh, he's doing that one. He's wow. directing that. Uh, oh. Comes out twenty twenty one this year. So, uh, with if I'm not mistaken, it's Emma Stone playing Cruella. Yes, Deville. that's Cruella. Um, so that should be fun. I'm looking forward to that. And I like this director, man. He's kind of new, kind of been around since Mr. Woodcock 07. So I look forward to it, man. I like him. I, I haven't seen a film that's disappointed me from him so far. So uh, Greg Gillespie. Um, what did you guys think, man? This is this was an interesting picture. Uh, it was my first time watching it. The Yokomoto and the Lao. I'm sure you guys have seen it various times over the years. Yeah. It seems like it's in yeah, that I, ha I have the DVD itself. I actually don't know why I didn't bring it. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really good. It, uh, it's one of those that uh, don't, like don't be tuned off by the, what the premise is, right. but what like once you get give that us the premise, give us the back, premise, Yokomoto. Give for the listeners listening. Okay. What's the premise of this picture? Okay, so you have Lars, and he's uh, basically a sh uh, shut-in, um, <laughs> um, introvert. He d just does not. He's yeah, not he's good not, socially, he's right? He's a hermit. Yeah, sure. yes, basically. Uh, so one day he decides to uh, kind of get his outer shell going mm. uh, by introducing someone new to the family. Mm -hmm. And this person is a handicapped Brazilian for a missionary uh, who is also a sex doll. Sex doll. Yeah, sex doll. <laughs> and the story kind of just carries yeah, on from unwrapped. there. Yeah. yeah, From there on, you could imagine the, the natural conclusion. Delau, I want to hear your your opinion last because uh, mine mine and I know it's one of your favorite films and it's kind of one of your go tos. You've mm -hmm. told us over the year, Austin. It was your first time watching it too, um, and I feel like it's in that vein that you and I very like very much enjoy. We enjoy these indie kind of simple stories, um, and I think. I think that hit home for the both of us, but I don't know what was your kind of. You, you made a comment that I hope you repeat on the podcast. What what what, what did you think? G. Wilkers, um, mister. Yeah, G. Wilkers, mister. Um, <laughs> no, the film itself was great. Definitely took like a while to kind of get used to the premise of it. Mm. But it was kind of, towards the end, just really heartwarming how everybody just accepted Lars and Bianco for what they were. and What they went through. And yeah, and like kind of what the community went through and how they all came together. Yeah. Yeah, it, it wasn't as cheesy. I, I just remember the comment that you made was, man, that picture's kind of out of this world. 
Um, and I thought that was interesting for an indie. You you kind of hear, you don't hear that too much with an indie, so I mm-hmm. thought that was interesting. Um, and I agree, I agree with that sentiment. But yeah, I agree with you. I think um, on my perspective as a first time watcher was how did this film slide under the radar for me? This is right. this is my type of film. Like I I, I don't under know the radar how of everybody. So, yeah, yeah. And you like, know what I? Yeah. It's crazy because I remember when I first heard about this film, the biggest thing I heard was people saying like, "I stopped watching after the first few minutes. It was too weird for me. I didn't like where um, it was going." And it's and true. It's that, it's, if you it, can it, get past that yeah. awkwardness, it's it's awkwardness right and right up front. It's awkward. What I love yeah. is that the way it was directed and the way it was written in. Not only did they want to punch the characters in the story with that kind of awkward tension of the film, right. but they wanted to punch that audience. So that that uh, quick like. Sure. Uh, shot reverse shot like where it's them sitting down at the couch just kind of staring in disbelief <laughs> and then it turns and then the audience and everybody's just introduced to bianca and bianca. That, that whole <laughs> punch and i loved watching you guys reacting for the first time because it was just this like awkward kind of chuckles well it's because you're like, thing. You, what you, the hell <laughs> that the, you know they say they say nothing is is original in hollywood we've seen this this kind of story before in the sense that We've seen the intro, introvert um, family member that they kind of want to save, uh, but they can't. And he has this troubled past with the parents and whatnot. We've kind of seen that side, but we all expect the turn was was nuts. The turn was nuts when he knocks on the door for the first time after wanting to stay away from yeah. his own brother and the wife. Um, and then he knocks and he says, hey, so I met I met someone on the Internet. And, you know, it, it, you see his, the characters turn like, Hmm, that's cool. Should I believe this? Should I walk into this? Okay. I'm going to trust it. I'm going to walk into it. He met a weird girl somewhere. Um, and, and I, you know, you're not completely wrong by thinking that, but except the girl part anyways. Um, yeah, if you can get past the awkward stage, um, and I like that he did that. The, the director clearly was trying to do that. He wanted the audience to feel the awkwardness that the brother and his wife were feeling. Yeah, and um, I mean, that kind of punch really brought, like, you know, it brought everybody to the same level of, like, that, what do we do about this situation? And then this, and then yeah. all the emotions, the, the way the actors, mm-hmm. um, you know, put out their characters felt so sincere and so genuine and so uh, i guess kind of like heartwarming where then the whole time you're watching the film you're wondering what's going to kind of transpire but you see so much like care in that community and you you sympathize and you connect with them right away you know yeah it's almost like that that shock was enough to really just kind of put you in the tone of like everything that happens now makes sense and and you would want to be there like i thought it was really interesting the way you reacted um with the scene of the bowling alley because you get these guys who are kind of joking around oh, about it right. and making fun of it at first and you're like oh no like like <laughs> like these jerks are coming in and it's Lars there and then he's he's with this other girl who she wants to have a relationship with him but she's trying to also be there for him and respect him and then yeah. you know it takes a very positive turn but like I agree you, your yeah. exact words to that, the law were like, "No, this is a good movie, Carlos. Don't worry, it's a good movie." Yeah, <laughs> like, 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 it's <laughs> a good story. Out, yeah. yeah, because you know, I, I love the sincerity in that tone that it was able to c- accomplish, but not be cheesy. And it was able. You to know what? Be- I, I, I forget that that this, or I for maybe I forgot that this because it was my first time watching it. I forget that this film was made in 07. and um, and because of that, it doesn't have this. Everybody nowadays is trying to be clever. Every writer, yeah. every director is trying to walk you through this 
and th- and it's not some people can do a very 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 great i mean look at get out get out you think you're watching this kind of I mean, it's marketed like a horror film but when you the minute you're watching it it feels like a rom-com and it feels like meet the parents you know and then you get into the crazy shit and yeah. jordan peele does that very crazy so that's why when i see those guys walking in i'm like oh man like you were we're doing good. You're going to do this to me yeah. now. Cause everybody's trying to do something like that. They're trying to switch it up. And they're, don't you also feel like, uh, I mean, modern drama Oscar performance cinema is very much like you'll be watching a story. And every time the character succeeds, it's like, how can we drop the audience so hard right now? Or like, yes, you know, just, that's what like, I mean. That's, exa- yeah. that's exactly what I mean. And then, I mean, I come from, I think I told you the law when we finished watching it. And this is saying a lot for me. Um, if, if you guys have heard of this podcast from the first episode, you know that Goodwill Hunting is my favorite film of all time. And I, I think I told Austin and Delau, like, oh, man, this has a very, especially the scenes with the therapist. I think those oh, are yeah. my favorite scenes. It has this very Goodwill Hunting undertone um, that I really appreciated. And the style, too, the cinematography, even. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's got this Gus Van Sant kind of style to it. Yeah. Um, to the direction. So maybe it was inspired by Goodwill Hunting a little bit, at least for those moments. Um, but I told you that. And then I told you, I felt, I felt like the first time I watched Bernie with Jack Black. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Richard Linklater did that picture. And it has this very Bernie esque feel the small town neighborhood the one weirdo in the middle of it all and then the obviously it's a different kind of documentary style but yeah um it's it's got that feel of this small town this the big thing that happens in the small town and um, yeah and i like that i like that a lot i like i like where its heart was at so i i I appreciated that man yeah this Um, is one of those movies that uh the setting it only could have take place in a small town because it has to rely on like everybody knowing everybody Mm-hmm. That's, and true. How, That's true. Because of the fact that same fact, at by the end, well, half half point of the movie, mm-hmm. ha- that's exactly that interaction of the whole town kind of helping him go through this phase uh, is actually what helps him go. Yeah. You know, I wondered. I I kept asking myself, like uh, for instance, when when they're going to the doctor, when they have to call the ambulance, when they're going to the mall, whatever, what have you. I, I I kept asking myself like oh is the brother and the and the wife calling ahead like are they calling ahead for everything yeah I can't I had to keep asking myself that because I thought what are they gonna do like how, why the fuck would a hot would an ambulance come and pick them up knowing who they're yeah. picking up and then I realized no maybe they're calling ahead even for this and then they get to the hospital for the end scene the the most kind of crazy scene uh, in this linear story. Um, yeah. And and they say, oh yeah, the doctor's expecting you. Uh, doctor's expecting you. Like one of the nurses kind of does an offhand comment, like, yeah, no, no, don't worry. They're expect the doctor's expecting them. Take them to doctor, whatever. Um, so I, so yeah, I thought those I, I, those little moments were cool. Like they really do come together to to take the the therapist's advice overall is is play yeah. play along with it. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, I thought that was interesting. And, uh, talking about the therapist. Uh- what a, something that I really liked about this movie that got me since the first time I watched it was the the therapist. Uh, I really like. I'm looking for her played. name. I, I forget the actress, dude, but I, I kept trying to Patricia Clarkson. Yeah, Patricia. Uh, yeah, she. I really like the way she's portrayed because mm-hmm. uh, you could you could see that it's more realistic and actually mm-hmm. not someone trying to be like. Uh, smarter than he is yeah like he's actually someone who's trying to work out what he's doing asking him questions giving him 
by his side and everything like in a, mm-hmm. in a realistic way. I agree. I think, I think her role was, was interesting because it was subtle and it I, didn't, it didn't have to be good. Were. All, yeah, all of them yeah. were. Um, but I think her specifically, it was every time you saw the, I, I don't know how you guys spell, but every time I saw the therapist, every time I saw in, in, in the film, her name is Dagmar Berman. Um, I was just happy to see her. I, I wanted to see what else. I wanted to see what Lars's development was through her eyes. Yeah. Um, so she she had a, she brought a lot of validity to 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 the story to what was going on. And it, you know, it's really interesting, kind of that you bring up the subtlety of the performances. I think that's what charmed me the most is that sure. there wasn't anything over the top. There wasn't this yep. kind of heavy explanation on things. And even uh, that one scene where she kind of comes out. And uh, she has to explain to like um, her, his brother and uh, mm-hmm. his wife or her wife, ah, wife. Yes. Um, <laughs> that, you know, he's like, no, like, it's not that I told him that Bianca was dead. Like Lars told us and Lars is the one deciding what happens. Lars is the sure. one deciding what kind of goes on in her life and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so he's healing himself, you know, like I'm not right. doing anything. I'm just helping to facilitate him growing and something that you know it's kind of like oh deliberately telling you like what's going on in the story mm-hmm. or like you know what's happening with the characters and what they're thinking but it felt so organic in the way that it came up and in the way that the dialogue would bounce around each other you know uh where yeah yeah I you think didn't see I, people deliberately saying like i care about lars you were seeing people like talking in a very soft understanding way that helped you know, grow as you met all the new characters or pieces. I mean, quite, well. quite frankly, I was shocked. Um, I was shocked that it didn't, it didn't get nominated for more things. Um, and, yeah. and especially in the acting realm, because it didn't get nominated. None of the actors got nominated for an Oscar. And it's, it's one of those movies that, uh, as I mentioned earlier, uh, it's just, uh, it bombed it. Like, yeah, there was yeah. barely no mention of this. Other than uh, a couple like things that uh, to to this day, Yokomoto, it was so hard to find. I mean, we had to yeah, we yeah. can find it on Amazon Prime to rent, but it's not streaming anywhere. Let me put it to you this way: Yokomoto and Delao have DVDs of it because they've had it since it came out. You know, yeah. Um. So I and then I found a Blu-ray and I was telling Delao, "Hey, there's a Blu-ray. I'm probably gonna buy it." He's like, "There's a Blu-ray? What? Like, it's hard to find. It's hard. <laughs> yeah, it's not. And, it's and not the most it's, accessible film. It's a. It's one of those films that I definitely wanted to bring up, and I've at least tried to bring up in my picks because there are things that I know kind of went under the radar for a lot of people. Yeah. And the sad thing is is that the performances, I mean, the cinematography, I was even going to start bringing up stuff like the art direction and the costuming and how that kind of plays into the story. But like, Oh yeah, we have to talk about that. So much energy was brought into it that it's a shame that less and less people are hearing about these films and they're not being talked about more. Let's, let's talk about the acting. Let's start there. Um, Let's start there because I think, Look, I I think I told the Lala this. I'm I'm a, I'm a massive La La Land fan, obviously, and I love I love Seb and I love Ryan Gosling's performance, <laughs> but I don't love him in a ton of things. I don't think I think he's he's the definition of a movie star. He's like Emil Hirsch or like you know like these guys that kind of fall under the no. radar after some time. Like I I don't I don't see him. I haven't seen a film beyond La La Land, but it wasn't even Gosling's performance that took me over the top. It was, it was a story. It was the story, and it was the subtleties of, of 
the the subtle homages to cinema and, and classic musicals, but it wasn't it wasn't Gosling's performance. Um, I I'm I'm not saying I'm not a big uh, I'm a, he's not one of my favorite actors. Let me just say that he's he's a great actor and I respect his work, but there's very little films of his I've seen that have made a really big impact on me. And I know uh, I know a lot of people love Drive, and I know a lot of people love a ton of other films of his. The he did. The Notebook. I, I mean, I love The Notebook, but The Notebook's just – I like it. I, 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 just, I really do enjoy watching that yeah. film. Say what you say about me. Um, Nick Cassavetes, I think. I mean, he's the son of John Cassavetes, dude. He's, he's, he's becoming a good director like his dad. Um, so I, I like The Notebook, and I like Gosling in it. But he – I, I, I know I know what I'm going to get for this. I know what I'm going to get for this. But I see Gosling like I see Channing Tatum, man. I don't – He's gonna Jared be in film. Not that bad now. <laughs> well, now, yeah. I mean, you see films like Foxcatcher. He's growing. You see, like the Hateful Eight, and he's growing into his own. And I like that. But I, I mean, when this movie came out, Lars and the Real Girl, uh, <clears throat> his only like real big success was The Notebook. Yeah, you, you guys uh, had the, the benefit. He's done. Just so Sorry. you guys had the benefit of seeing this in 07. So maybe that set the standard for you guys for Gosling. No, but, but not a whole lot of people did. So that's why, you know, when you see people, I think they go back to him because, like you said, it's, it's a whole movie star thing. You see him yeah. coming in a bunch of stuff. Yeah. He's yeah. Been playing uh, his role well. You, it's it's not like. He's, he's the heartthrob. Look, there's three movies yeah. that, that I've seen Gosling in that have made an impact on me. Um, okay, four, actually. It's been The Place Beyond the Pines. I, I, I think he's. Uh, fantastic in that film. I, I think I think that film is is kind of underrated too. Um, it's La La Land, obviously. I mean, he's he's he, he plays the role that he needs to play. You know, before it was him, it was Miles Teller. Neither one probably could have worked, but I'm glad they you know Gosling took it. Um, and um, he 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 did this film, Crazy Stupid Love, and I I really love him in that. I love him in that. It's 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 kind of your typical rom com, but at the same time, it's it's a little more than that. I don't know. It's it's hard to describe, um, but it's it's such a good film. It's it's Steve Carell has great performance in it, and Ryan Gosling is, and number four really is one. is Lars and the Real Girl. I think I think this is the best I've ever seen him in. Period. I think this film really played into Gosling's strengths from what I've seen, which is that he knows how to be a good reserved character who has a lot to say, but doesn't say it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, and I, he's I, good at that. You see that in drive, yeah. you see that character, yeah. but, and, and not a whole lot of films use it and yeah. not a whole lot of, uh, you know, scripts, I guess, are made that use that well. So then what happens yeah. is that when he gets cast and you see that kind of character, it either feels overplayed or doesn't feel like it's in the right place or it feels like, like the I, organic and this one felt I organic. feel like Gosling comes from that school of he comes from running around with guys like Toby Maguire and Leo. He I mean they all grew up in Hollywood together. Yeah. Um so so literally they were friends since like the basketball diaries. All three of them come out in that movie. Like so you know th they've been running around Hollywood since they were kids and and I think I felt the same way about Tommy McGuire until I saw uh, The Great Gatsby. Um, before that, it was Tobey Maguire, and it was fine, and it was Spider-Man. You know what I'm saying? It was. It is what it is. And then I saw him playing Nick Carraway, and I'm like, oh, man, okay, Tobey Maguire still has something to say. Um, not that he's done much after that, but that's how I felt about Lars and the Real Girl with Gosling. I think, number one, 
I and I pointed this out like, yo, he got fat. <laughs> uh, he, he gained weight for the role, and I thought that was pudgy, so authentic. Yeah. yeah, he's a little pudgy, but he's playing like that small, small town kind of middle aged guy, you know. So, um, you see his routine, like you could definitely see that. Yeah, he, yeah, he, he just would stays look at home, like he sits down, he right. eats, and then that's it, you know. Yeah, that's so I, job. I don't know if that just shifted. Look, there's a difference between Lars Ryan and Crazy Stupid Love Ryan, oh, you yes. know, uh, substantially, right? So, um, if you haven't seen Crazy Stupid Love, he comes out shirtless and does a whole dirty dancing bit with them. Yeah, Stone. you can't imagine that. <laughs> <laughs> so, 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 yeah, exactly. You can't imagine that here, and I think that just brought some authenticity to the role, man. I, I think, I think he should should have been nominated for this role. I really do. Um, I'm uh, I really do believe so. You um, know, I, I think it just kind of goes into like when you watch a film and the actor's performance accentuates the character in a way that you can detach yourself from that actor and their kind of career, other performances and all that kind of stuff. It's it's such a good um, performance from them. Yeah. And I feel like this is so different from everything else I've seen where I don't see Ryan Gosling when I watch this film. In fact, it kind of like, goes over my head sometimes when i'm rewatching it because you just see lars and his character you see lars that, that's my yeah. point. that's my point and um he it's just done so well and and like i said it's natural it's organic there's nothing over the top but it makes you yeah. connect at a very real level where I, I was gonna bring up at least my experience watching this yeah. for the first time um i just the some of my best films watching are all the always the ones that we talk hours afterwards about the film sometimes sure. not even about like the technical aspects but just the messages and what we felt and how it you know how yeah, yeah, yeah. life kind of came after that and i definitely felt that with like this one you know it, it's just something that i connected with so hard and i think all their performances from everybody you were even mentioning uh Lars's brother i forgot what his name is uh, yeah um, i really wanted to talk about him in terms yeah, of the acting paul schneider man yeah paul schneider did so good in this movie i i've seen him in tv i think he did parks and rec a couple of seasons yeah he, it, and he's nothing, like a comedy nothing, guy you yeah. know he's good you know you see him there and all that but this one i mean hits home especially when he's talking about just it's there's that beautiful scene when he's not um, kind of beating around the bush like most of the characters are throughout yeah. the movie. And he's, yeah, he's just like, talking no, to his wife. because he's not a real girl. Yeah. 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 Or, or the part when he was like, uh, or my dad was emotional and I left and I didn't know what to do. And yeah, then he oh, breaks down with his wife and it's just so... That's what I mean. So That's what I mean that so I feel touching. like this film should have been nominated for, for I mean, for supporting actors, for for... I don't know. I don't know about the direction. I feel that like the direction felt like I said, like a kind of a Goodwill Hunting and kind of like a maybe like even like a Three Billboards kind of yeah. pace and feel. Although I do think it is kind of important how the direction of this movie because it uh, on the guise of another director, this could have easily been uh, uh, kind of a wacky comedy. Dude, and and the and, and I I think you're crazy. right, but it was directed like a comedy. The timing, it was. The timing was, was yeah. The timing, yeah. Um, but, just uh, talk about the, the reactions. About like, how he, yeah, he it, took it, it played, in a serious tone. Yeah. That it played that balance because I mean, there's times where you see it being comedic, and then yeah. you can laugh with it, and then times where you see it being serious, and then you want to kind of pause and sit down and like watch and understand you know but, i, I, I want to mention a yeah. quote um that uh the late great roger ebert wrote about this film um and i think he hit it on the nose he says the film wisely 
never goes for even one moment that could be interpreted as smutty or mocking. There's so many ways it could have gone wrong that one of the film's fascinations is how adorably it sidesteps them. Its weapon is absolute sincerity. It has a kind of purity to it. This is Robert Ebert, Roger Ebert talking about. I think you hit it on the nose, man. I think you hit it on the nose. Um, so yeah, I think the actors have a lot to do with that. You see, um, the wife and, and her, her, her role is the most endearing and she's the one you're kind of wanting to root for the most, uh, to, for, for Lars's betterment. Lars is, Lars is, I, I want to, he's the protagonist, but he's, he, you're kind of in her shoes more. You're kind of observing Lars more than you are in Lars's shoes. Um, and I think that's on purpose. Um, but um, I, I, man, let me see if I can find her I, name. I, I think, think she was mostly because it tries to put you, put you in her shoes throughout yeah. the whole movie that you just really want she, him to get out there. She's the sister-in-law. She doesn't have to yeah. care that deeply. So for her to care that deeply, it's it's very heartwarming and very refreshing. Emily Mortimer, by the way, is her name. Um, you've seen her in a ton of stuff. She she came. She had a pretty decent role in Shutter Island, and she came out in Hugo and uh, Mary Poppins Return. She's she's been around. Um, and I, I like her, man. I think she's good, not just because she's in Scorsese movies, but uh, but she was really she was really kind of a character. Name, I, name drop for the bingo. Yep, yep. There you go, Castro. If you're listening, the name drop is there. Um, yeah. No, but I, I think um, I think her character is the one I'm rooting for the most in this picture, uh, with the brother too, because I want the brother to. I wanted the brother to break down. I wanted to to hear why he's such a hard ass and why he's you know I I wanted to hear that and I'm glad I did. But um, but this Emily Mortimer's character, I I really, uh, she brings the lightness to the film. You know, mm-hmm. uh, so, uh, something so. I, I noticed a lot in this in this uh, see through is how important and how like uh, well developed the the brother's character is. Especially him as an actor, uh, trying to portray mm-hmm. that character, because there, especially once you already know the backstory of yeah. of Lars and him, where uh, the so the his mother died and the father kind of mm-hmm. went through this mm-hmm. big depression, and the brother just said, you know what, I can't live here, so he left mm-hmm. and he, he left his brother there with his with his dad until he died and then he comes back right i feel like it's like uh, this so once you- this um eating gilbert great what's eating gilbert great moment like johnny depp's character like we kind of get to see quote unquote johnny depp's character come back to the craziness uh and and deal with the brother now um so i i like that so, i like that so but the thing is that like throughout the movie especially once you start discovering all these things with him mm-hmm. about him and everything like you could definitely see the progression of him like trying to be like it's him hard to understand but at the same time throughout the whole time like he you could see that he blames himself for have having left them there mm-hmm. in that situation mm-hmm. and you could see that throughout uh the movie how, the overall how he acts. yeah and uh, it's just these subtle things that the that that all these characters do and his was most most noticeable this time that i saw it yeah yeah i um i mean there's a ton of stuff to kind of point out um to, to this authenticity again it's the the right word is is sincerity the right word is sincerity yeah. um i I, I read a couple of things that i wanted to bring up for the show that i'm sure you know about these things already since it's how big of a fan you are but um to maybe this was a a, a method thing but to help ryan gossen stay in character the doll bianca uh 
she was she was treated as a character as an actual person she wasn't treated as a prop she was treated as a character mm-hmm. um, so you can imagine her sitting in a director's chair you can imagine her sitting in makeup and hair i mean yeah the, she was treated as a character so i thought that and was pretty interesting thing. if you want to kind of like see how much uh she's not just like a, a prop and is more a character in the film um just look at like the makeup and how she looks throughout the film. It's always changing and it's yeah. very subtle, but it's always it's, changing from the very first time where she has a ton of makeup. Four or five and faces that they made for it. I want to say four, but I, I could be off on that. There yeah. could be more. Yeah, I, I'd but, point out that there's probably more, but they, they did miss with that mess with the hairstyles too. So maybe they, that's they mess what... with the hair. They mess with the makeup, uh, the clothing, of course, where you're seeing her kind of progress as she goes through the city. But then I love how, that subtlety of like from the very beginning it's almost like this artificial life is thrown on her of like her being all preppy with makeup and you know looks like a sex doll and then goes (laughs) to looking more like a real person and then at the very end looking just pale and you could see lars trying to hold on to that connection yeah i i I was gonna say by the way uh you might get jealous but she they took this so seriously to the point where she had her own trailer on set Wow, I did not know that. <laughs> so um, I bring that up because um, this, you guys, I'm sure everybody remembers the scene in I Am Legend when he's talking to the mannequin. Um, I remember what I felt in that moment when Will Smith's character is talking to the mannequin. I thought, I kept looking at the mannequin and I kept thinking, is it going to come to life? Like, is, <laughs> is in, in his imagination, is it going to fucking talk? Are we going to, like, I wanted, it felt so vivid at that moment. And that's what Bianca felt for me. She, because of how real she was becoming to the story, she felt very vivid. And every time they put her in the frame, I was like, "What's going on with her? What's what's she doing now?" Like I was kind of, I was in it, man. I was invested in it. Of um, the Lao, another thing I wanted to mention was, uh, you you talk about the soundtrack for this film being this um, kind of this defining moment in your high school life. I remember you told us yeah. you were watching it and the talking heads being a big part of it. Um, the, the scenes where the talking heads cassette well, for the party scene where he plays the talking heads, uh, that was Gosling's thing. He really? brought, he brought the cassette in and he thought, I think oh. uh, he, he thought it would have been cool for the scene. So he brought the cassette in and played it. And it was his, his whole, a lot of improvised moments in this film that were all Gosling. Again, I think he should have been nominated. Um, the whole thing where he's, he's, um, he's about to enter the party. Um, that's improvised uh, with, with Bianca. The, the, the most heartwarming scene of the film, which is when he's performing CPR on, on Margot's teddy bear. Oh Yeah. Completely improvised on Rob really? Gosling's be completely improvised, and then it it feel it, that adds so much yeah. more to the scene. So yeah. Those yes. those moments, it's yeah. funny how subtle they were, and when you watch them the first time, you're just kind of like, oh, this is that scene. But then you keep coming back after okay, the, the years I've watched <laughs> this film, but like you come back to those scenes and they feel so warm and genuine, genuine. and you, yeah, yeah, and you you see like her having that little like kind of giggle when she's um watching him kind of perform this whole thing and she's trying to go through like her dialogue of like what's kind of going on in her life. But then it, I, any other movie I think would have punched in on her and would have shown her laughing or would have tried to like emphasize like, Oh, look what she's feeling. But this one just let life kind of like come naturally. Like, you know, what you um, notice, yeah, you notice you, and what you don't, you don't, you. Yeah. Just, you know. to, to add to your, to your point um, and what you guys are talking about right now, the doll had nine different faces. Nine. 
nine. So, I mean, we're talking, and it's, and it's exactly for the reason you guys said. It's to show an evolution. She's very heavy made, heavily made up um, in the first scene, and by the end of it, it's a completely more natural look. But it yeah. wasn't, yeah, sure, the end, the kind of the last scenes we see her in, it's because she's quote-unquote sick, but it's it's a lifestyle. Um, it's I think it's a lifestyle thing. She's, she takes a more natural look because she becomes a suburban entity yeah almost you know and, so. and it's it's that where when she's alive yeah. and she's going through the town she looks like you know uh flesh tone color very real very like you know uh vivid where yeah she's living she's going about she's doing things so that way they can help lars kind of break away from her and and let her kind of go on with life so lars has to kind of go on with his life but then at the very end it feels uh striking the the differences you see in her i mean the the kind of they did this this i guess they've used this doll in another in another thing called the graham norton effect um you know if you know graham norton he's this popular talk show host from from the uk Mm -hmm. um and they basically use the same model doll uh for a prank um, they put they put Bianca as we know her in a bar with sunglasses and everybody thought she was real to the point where some guy was like people were hitting on her and one guy was so drawn to this doll that uh, somebody's I guess somebody a friend of the dolls was like hey go wait for her in the bathroom with your pants off and he did <laughs> so, so this yeah. is how real this kind of like doll I mean we even talked about it when we were watching the film the law we're like I think Austin mentioned that's like the lightest wheelchair in the world. They can carry that anywhere with her on it. And then you were like, well, no, she's supposed to weigh. She weighs what a human is supposed to weigh. It's kind of the point. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, just just all of those things um, brought a lot of authenticity to the film. Um, and uh, it's kind of uh, funny how the, the writer, how she came up with the story. And... Basically, uh, I don't know if you guys have heard of this or not, mm-hmm. but uh, she said that one one night he she was at the internet and she found the the actual website the uh, realdoll.com. Yeah, oh, okay. Like she found that website and she found like this whole thing and she just kept on playing with the idea like how interesting how did this work and yeah. how <laughs> and so and so that's how the, the inception of the of the script in in cool. true in true indie fashion um the film was shot in 31 days um 31 yeah. days to shoot this picture um, if i'm not mistaken i think like maybe at most like six locations i want to say it's- for the most part i mean the the doctor's office the house the pink room and everything in the house his kind of garage slash house um the church yeah it was it was small town in its veins i mean it had, it had a 12 million dollar budget very modest budget um, for for that many big names, that yeah. many big names, the twelve million dollar budget, it, it just shows how good the script must have been. It showed you how how great it must have been of all these top top name actors who were willing to take a pay cut. Um, the film has a lot of a lot of accolades in terms of well, a lot of great critical reception. Man, I mean, it scored an eighty one. Um, everybody. Ha- the cast, I mean, has talked about how this has been one of their favorite experiences um, to shoot this film. Um, yeah, I, I, I think, I think it was a great choice, man. I think, I think, I think cinema's losing that that bone. I think cinema hasn't done something like that in a while. 
Yeah. Um, there's this freshness, there's uniqueness to this movie that, that, that you don't really see. I, I, I mean, definitely say that if you're if you haven't seen this film, and I know we say it with all the films, but I think if you haven't seen this <laughs> film and you're looking for something to kind of just give you a little bit more hope and warm feeling for 2021, but also be just a really nice picture, I think this one does it. You know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And again, it slips under the radar, man. It's 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 really good. And allowed to your, I mean, Yokomoto, to your point, it it made. 12 million dollar budget and a made 11 at the box office so um mgm distributed it and it, it premiered at tiff to toronto international film festival but it didn't get any i don't i mean it's look, really sad indies, how much most indies don't yeah. i i've been preaching for the longest time hopefully we get to talk about it on this podcast one of my favorite films of all time one of my the films that shaped kind of my my storytelling sensibilities is a film called liberal arts um, written and directed by Josh Radner, and he stars in the main role with uh, Elizabeth Olsen. I think it was the first thing I ever saw Elizabeth. I didn't even know there was a third Olsen sister until that movie. Um, and then she became uh, this. You have not. Have you seen Martha Marcy May Marlene? No, I've heard. And then I know she did the new Old Boy too. I haven't seen her in Old Boy either. Uh, the new Old Boy, not the not the classic one. Yeah, but, yeah, I know. Um, but I, I. I fell in love with her instantly, by the way. But and then she became fucking Wanda, you know. Um, yeah. So she became yeah, this big star. <laughs> but no, she did a lot of indie stuff, and and liberal arts being one of them. It just slides under the radar, man. It slides under the radar, and and I, Lars and the Real Girl was that. Um, it should have gotten more attention. It should have gotten more buzz. Um, but it it falls into that era of indie films that. Are hidden gems. I, I can yeah. I can wholeheartedly say that this is definitely a hidden gem, and you should watch it. It was, you know, what it's really sad to kind of think about how, as much of it being a gem, and like I cherished yeah. it, and I know Yokomoto, like you held onto the DVD and you cherished it and all that. So many people like still don't kind of come back to it. Even like it was on um, it was on Tubi or whatever that oh, was okay. like the free yeah, yeah, free yeah. movie mm-hmm. service and then i remember the second i said like oh i want to do this film it was there and then they're like oh we're gonna pull it off and it's just like not <laughs> even a have free a long movie life. Web, like a free yeah. movie site like doesn't want to like hold on to it and i have a feeling people just watch the trailer and don't uh, sometimes yeah they don't the give it a movies. try yeah so yeah uh, a little a little backstory for me for my situation uh this movie is actually a point of contention here at this household at my ah. household uh, because my my wife is was one of those audience members where i like i was like oh man this movie's so sweet this was uh, just yeah. uh, try to get into the premise but it's it's sweet let's put it on uh 15 minutes in she just looks at me and she's like what is this weird shit <laughs> and she told me to let to take it off and I, uh, and uh, i feel like my family does not I, have I feel I feel like my wife, I haven't shown it to her, but I feel like, again, point of contention in my household is my wife is, she says, you're a filmmaker and I'm a, and I'm a general audience member. And that's it. That's how we each view movies. And I feel like this particular, that's, that's kind of my argument though, Yoko, once you get past the awkward, yeah, the, and the, the awkward half you have of to the feel first that punch. Act, you have to feel that punch. Yeah. Yes. yeah. After the awkward half of the first act, the first half of the first act, if you can get past the first half of the first act, um it feels like a general audience movie it feels like something yeah. anybody will connect to it is and it's not an art house picture it's not i don't think i don't think it's an art house picture i want to you know and, and you know it was funny because i remember carlos you you watching it i think you were like is it gonna take some really wacky turn because you were like 
Oh no! I was like, waiting I for think, it. Yeah, I was waiting I, for it. It was like a. I I think after we were introduced to Bianca, you were like, "Oh no, let me guess. The title's true. She is a real girl. Oh my god, my camera died." I, the point is, <laughs> I thought it was gonna take that route. I thought it was gonna take the route of or the law. Should we pause? Oh no, you can keep going because I can I can hear you. Um, I, thought it, I thought it was going to take this route. Now we have two people with the cameras off, Yoko, and I don't understand why. Um, hey, don't worry. The camera <laughs> only goes for the pretty ones. Give me, give me 30 seconds. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> no, but I think I think that I was expecting it to take this turn because you see films like The Joker. The Joker did it. The Joker did it. It's not a new thing, and it's not very cl- – I mean – it could be clever, I guess, but it's not. It's not. It's very common technique in, in storytelling. Um, they were never really there. That, that that's. They were never really there. That's a very common technique in in storytelling. The Joker just did it with the girl, with the quote unquote yeah. love interest. You know, and I thought that's what it was gonna do. I thought it was like, oh, it's an actual girl, and there's an awkwardness, and it's gonna be explained. Um, I thought that that's what it was gonna do. I. The, the I, best way I'm glad that, it didn't. That I, I'm glad it didn't. The best way that I, that I could tell people, uh, kind of like warn them about hanging on in there, is that you have to see yourself as one of the town's members. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, like once the town members kind of like get the idea, okay, so we're here to help them out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, and once can... that happens, the whole town converts. Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. and you can see that... that um the film trying to connect with the audience in that way from the first moments after they introduce her where then the brother and the wife are just like, they're in the kitchen. They're like, what are we going to do? I have to take my do- uh, brother to a doctor. I got to take him to like, a hospital. I, I can't afford that. Yeah. I, what are we going to do? It's my little brother. Like, oh my yeah. God. But then right after that, you know, you see that they're just trying to deal with this like awkward tension of it all, especially like he's sitting her down at the table. And I love that it used humor as a way to kind of like help you glide past this really awkward phase of the film. And then once it, once it does that, once you're past the hump and you're like, okay, like now I understand, like this is, this is what's happening and this is everybody trying to cope with it and trying to help Lars. Then it just feels so heartwarming. Then you're just so touched by all the micro actions that kind of come around him or that happened, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Before, before we run out of time, I want to talk to you guys about, uh, kind of some of the technical aspects um, in a very, very non-technical film. Um, the great, another name drop, the great Martin Scorsese once said, I think editing is when you can see the editing, but it's also when you can't. And and it's a very general thing amongst filmmakers. When you can't see the editing, it's probably great editing. Yeah. Um, I want to talk to Austin about that. And, and then the law, I would, I'd like for you to elaborate a little bit on the cinematography because um, it's it's kind of a beautiful picture too. Um, aesthetically mm-hmm. it's 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 the woods and the snow and it's it's shot very simply i i'm willing to bet money that they shot the entire film on a 35 millimeter lens and uh, again i'm being facetious but yeah. that's how it looks like it's it's kind of straight to the point but austin did you notice anything in the editing that was noteworthy or or wasn't which is a good thing in editing sometimes i don't know uh, yeah no i mean damn it dude <laughs> Uh, hello. Okay. There you go. I'll yes, cut that we out. We got you. We got you. No, it's just my fucking mic. Um. Wow. <laughs> um. No, there really wasn't anything Marker. like. No, there really wasn't anything like that stood out greatly with it. Like you say, if it if you really don't notice it, um, there definitely was a really great flow between the conversations on the different cutbacks between the mm. different, um, stuff. Especially like you know when Lars shows up with Bianca for the first time and 
kind of just that flow of capturing that awkwardness mm-hmm. between the brother and him. So it, it, it's just one of those things where you notice the flow a little bit, but not necessarily too much. And that's what you really are looking for. She she seems to be very, very um, the, the editor. I mean, her name is Tatiana Regal. She seems to be very loyal to Craig Gillespie. She's doing Corella. She did I, Tanya, um, Million Dollar Arm. She's done pretty much every one of his films, but she's also kind of did below the line stuff in like Pulp Fiction, you know? And like, really? yeah, yeah. So she kind of worked on different things. Um, Bad Words with Jason uh, Bateman and, and stuff like oh, that. That's so a really good movie. Yeah, the men who stare at goats. So she's done a kind mm-hmm. of other, kind of other pretty good, great films. Um, so I agree with that. I think, I think, I think indie films, the technical aspects of indie films are so underrated. Guys, making a movie's hard. We're all filmmakers in this group, and we can attest to the fact that making an indie film like Lars and the Real Girl that looks easy is not. Um, in fact, uh, some of the technical aspects, like the seamless editing, like the di- the quick dialogue, like the timing, the comedic timing, it's hard, man. It's hard. Yeah. So for a film to pull that off, I think the technical aspects have to be – just because it's not Marvel or Star Wars doesn't mean it didn't take um, some significant thought into the technical aspects uh, to this film. Delau, as far as the cinematography goes, um, Adam Kimmel was the DP for this. He's done stuff like Capote. Capote is a fantastic film, one of Philip Seymour Hoffman's best, if, if you haven't seen it. Um, he did Capote, Never Let Me Go. Um, he did he did a lot of stuff, man. I, I, but he's he's one of those, again, another one of those DPs that falls under the radar. Um, any any thoughts? On, yeah, on I, I think uh, cinematography and the more I've been kind of looking into the craft and what people do with it, the more I see that, the less you notice it, the better it is. And mm-hmm. for stuff like this, everything's very deliberate uh, to you because, okay, how do I frame this in a way that doesn't make me look stupid? I think that the dialogue <laughs> tries to be very subtle, but it tries mm-hmm. to be very clever in the way that it displays the interactions, mm-hmm. the tensions, the uh, the inner feelings of each of the characters without deliberately like saying it. Yeah. And I think all the cinematography is trying to do is really like help to bring that home in a way that you sympathize for Lars because a lot of the opening shots are like him inside. It's very closed off. It's Mm -hmm. dark. They have these um, shots that are very well lit because you can see how the light only really illuminates him in a way that may be unnatural for sunlight to do, but it pulls Mm -hmm. it off in such a natural way where you can see it's like, the only little glimmer of life is Lars, but he's just trapped in this very dark place. The, the um, Lao and I have this ongoing conversation whenever we watch movies together. It's a, it's it's become a bit where anytime we see a Rembrandt, um, yeah, we point it out. That either I point it out or he points it out. And and there's a particular shot the Lao that really caught my attention was the first time he's mentioning Bianca to them when he rings the doorbell. Mm-hmm. Um, it's disguised as a porch light. The yeah. porch light's kind of giving the Rembrandt, but it looks like moonlight a little bit too. So I think yeah. the blending of the line, but it's but it illuminates his face in a way that we yeah. haven't seen yet. And the thing is, for stuff like that, it 
all is disguised as either practicals or natural lighting, but you can see them using the lighting in a way that is trying to progress the story and progress, like, I guess, that character. That would have also sure. been an extremely hard shot to light just because you're thinking of mixing moonlight with the interior and how it's warm and him opening the door. It's such right. a tight frame, right, right. but they found a way to use it, the practical light and probably, like, if, if you're a filmmaker, you know. If you're a filmmaker, yeah. you know. You know what it is. You point, you see the light and you see, like, okay, it's a porch light, but, but I it's think really not. But a lot but, of it was but, just done in a way that helps <laughs> emphasize large progression. Uh, you know, I Absolutely. think like when you Absolutely. look at the the early shots, you can see how it looks kind of claustrophobic from his perspective. Mm -hmm. It's very tight. He's uncomfortable. I, I call it, and it, it, yeah. I call it the wood grain panel cinematography. That's what I call it. Um, and and if it just gives me this wood grain. Anytime you see a wood grain panel, uh, you think to these old suburban homes. Mm -hmm. um and most indie films have that most indie but primarily for budget purpose you watch juno and you look at the inside of juno's house and it's the same thing it's the same type of cinematography it's the same type of lighting until you're in jennifer garner and jason bateman's home and it's this flood of white lights that is that isn't fluorescent it, or isn't tungsten i mean it's completely fluorescent so yeah um, so the, just it, it's an indie thing. I know it's an indie thing for indie filmmakers that appreciate indie films. Uh, it's an indie thing. Also, I just want to give one last nod before we kind of uh, cap up everything. I really like the work. Um, I guess the working together of like the costume wardrobe props department and oh, in, in yes, how they show yes. Lars has this thing where basically uh, at the beginning of the film, he's really appalled by touch and human interaction. And it's, right. and you would think like, Oh, well, he just likes to be alone. But then he describes it as like, no, physically this it burns. It's uncomfortable. Yeah. And it's amazing to see how as the film progresses, you see more and more layers come off him until you see at the very end, he only has this really, really thin kind of sweater and that pink shirt that he's been wearing yeah. the whole the whole film, but like underneath all of his clothes and how that I think, like correct me if I'm wrong, though, because I might have just missed it. But I feel like that article of clothing was his mom's, right? The one he wears under everything. Uh, the, I think that's what they want the, you to think. Yeah. There's a scarf. There's like the scarf kind of towel that he can go on. No, no, no. There's, there's no, the there, it's like a, but like there's an like an undershirt. It's like a pajama shirt. It's like a but pajama it's very shirt. Small, it's very small, but it's always on him. And if you look, you can even see it like in the collar and all that. Like Maybe they never it. mention it. Maybe they never mentioned where they, it they came don't from. Mention but the, I, uh, I feel like it, yeah. it belonged to the mom. I, I'm willing to bet money it belonged to the mom. And that's why he wears it all the time. I was, yeah. If we go deeper into that theory, if we go deeper into that theory, I'd argue that that's why he doesn't like being touched because it's going to somehow taint his mom, like who he has wrapped around him in this article of clothing. Like, I feel like that's kind of the love that he was missing, right? When I, by not having his mom around and his dad going through this episode. Yeah, so. he was, you know, I was telling the guys to be very aware when watching the film, look at the color pink because it's used yeah. so deliberately. And it's such a simple, like, costume adjustment to each of the characters but when it's brought up, you see progression of Lars's character and also progression yeah. of the community. It, it's a really, I think, interesting way to subtly show the changes that are going on and also how Lars had this connection with, like you said, like his yeah. mom. I was even I went, I went over the like, top. Yeah. And that, I went over the, the top color. like like I, I, I treated it like it was a drinking game. Like I t every anytime something pink would come in in the frame that was significant, pink, pink, pink. even even it was pink, 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 the Lao pink, there's pink. <laughs> yeah. And then you we started talking about it at the end, and I love the Lao's theory. Um, do you kind of want to 
talk about yeah. that like specifically what you said i think was was really yeah cool. i i think the what it's trying to show is love and how at the very beginning if you think of that pink shirt being under large's shirt love is something that he kind of never really receives but he also kind of holds to himself he it's, internalizes it yeah he internalizes it that there's this kind that's of like love cool. that that is not able to kind of like go beyond himself that's why even yeah. at the very beginning somebody gives him a or that uh nice lady gives him a flower and says give this to somebody who looks nice and then he sees um the girl and he just throws it immediately like i like he doesn't want to share that outward and yeah. you see that when bianca comes in he immediately wants to put her in this pink room because all of his love is just kind of going to her and all yeah. and everything that he cares about he's trying to give her that's good he's trying to help her get clothes and all that And as the film kind of progresses forward, uh, you see that he's able to put more pink outwardly and he's able mm -hmm. to kind of like start loving um, outside of himself. He, he has like a pink bowling ball. He uh, starts wearing like a pink um, rose at the very end, showing that it's able to go beyond him now that it's not just and all it's, bottled it's, up. It's, it's, it's an interesting thing because um, the Kelly Gardner character, I think, yeah, it was Kelly Gardner who plays Margot, kind of the the long love longing person. yeah the longing yeah. love interest um she's always wearing pink and that's something it's an it's an observation i made at the minute the law told me like okay once we see her in a few scenes she's always wearing some type of muted pink it's muted pink until the funeral yeah and we get to the funeral and she's she's dressed in this almost not not hot pink not quite quite but it's like a brighter pink, pink. it's a, but it's more a brighter pink it's more vibrant it's more outwardly and lars is wearing it too in the corset or the flower i mean I, um so i knew you if you paid attention to that then you knew that she was gonna somehow in the love find spectrum, her way to find yeah. her way to lars and, and vice versa so and if you also look at it from i appreciated that, that theory too i mean you can see that her character is always outwardly putting out like love for yeah, yeah. she's and, a very and, and yeah. care where then as she's wearing it it's almost like trying to show like i can't be there directly for you but even when people were like oh that's weird right that he like keeps bianca around he's like well that's just his thing and we're caring about him and all that like when she, uh, she's talking to a couple at the party you see that her character is always very caring, always very loving, and she's ready to share that with Lars, even yeah. if Lars isn't there yeah. yet. And it's, it's yeah. I think going with that theory, it just makes the film so much more sweeter and sincere. Yeah, like I mean, I'm about. glad yeah. you pointed it out because I'm sure, I'm sure would have, again, that detail would have gone under the radar if you didn't tell me about it. Um, and th that color is actually like so prominent in the movie that the posters themselves The, yeah, actually have because feature this big pink uh, as a wallpaper the, like the pink room yeah that's the where they're room. in uh, the, pink, the room. pink room yeah it's there's something just so sweet about the film i mean that's why i kind of wanted to share it to you guys and hopefully for whoever's watching if you haven't seen it which i'm gonna flip a quarter and say you probably haven't um yeah i think you should definitely give it a try it's something very sweet very sincere sure it's gonna have a very awkward punch at the beginning but that's what it's meant to do and you just yeah. gotta trust that yeah. it's gonna carry you to the right place and you know what i think when you've seen enough indie pictures and i know i'm throwing that word around a lot and i'm i'm doing it with thought i'm not just throwing that word around when you've seen enough indie pictures a lot of them have that moment so mm -hmm. you're kind of used to it you can kind of you can kind of There's some movies that like feel awkward and you wonder why and some do it, do a bad job. You just feel awkward through the whole film. And most films 
have a reason for it. So when you're an indie filmmaker, like you're an indie lover, you, you, you're used to that feeling with indie films. So, so for us, it's easy, but if you're kind mm-hmm. of just general audience member, um, get past it. I promise you it'll be worth it. Guys, any last thoughts before we move on to the tower crown on Lars and the real girl? I'm glad we got to talk about it. It gave me the warm fuzzies. Yeah. Hopefully it gave other people warm <laughs> fuzzies, whatever that is. And yeah, that's, that's uh, my something thought. really cool. <laughs> something really cool about this is that when you meant when you talk about this to other people like you'll know exactly the people that have seen it right because every single person that i've talked to that that's that i've like oh yeah have you seen the lars and the real girl um that person's like oh yeah that movie's really good yeah yeah and and uh, it reminded me a lot when michael de pitched this movie for to watch uh, I don't know if you noticed, but I was like, oh, yeah, that was awesome. Yeah, because yeah. yeah, every, every person who knows about it is like, it hits me so well. Like, it's, it's just it's such a, a... It's a hidden gem. It's yeah, a hidden it's gem definitely a hidden gem. Uh, Austin, any final thoughts on Lars and the Real Girl? Just get through the, the awkwardness. Yeah. It's worth <laughs> it. It really is. As, as any audience member, yeah, just get past that. And trust that the film's gonna take you in the right place because it yeah. really does. And yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna throw this out there. I think this film provided I mean Disney hasn't good hasn't done wrong yet, dude. Um in my eyes anyways, but I'm a Disney nut, right? So uh once Corella hits big, people are gonna revisit this movie because they're gonna revisit so. Craig Gillespie. So I'm willing to be there's gonna be a resurgence of, of this film because of Corella. I hope. I hope Hopefully. so. Okay. Oh. And I, I, there's actually one last question I wanted to kind of bring to everybody because I know we we're going to talk about it after we watched the film, but we really didn't. Yeah. Um, the last scene with Bianca at the lake, theories, mm-hmm. ideas, or what you kind of thought happened because it's really meant to kind of be obscured when you see it, you're seeing it from a distance. Mm-hmm. What do you think happened to Bianca? I, I remember I, that I, we were joking that he was going to drown her, but... <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think... I don't think I That's felt... Because so my immediate thing is, like, why is the brother freaking out so much? Like, I know it's cold. I know it's a lake. I know it's water. But I, I, I didn't fear for Lars. And I feel like the brother was like, what are you doing? So I don't know if the brother's reaction was, what's happening with Bianca? Because now he's invested? Or, oh, shit, something's going to happen to Lars. Whatever it was, I just didn't think it was appropriate for that. I just felt like this mm, this uh, immediacy that we needed to feel but um i was ex- honestly i was the way he was carrying her and the way he was kind of laying her in the water i was like expecting baptism. like a like no well i said a baptism when i saw him kind of like dip the head but i was expecting more of a viking funeral type of thing <laughs> I, 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 I swear <laughs> i was expecting. I mean, like, not, it's, it's aggressive yeah. but there's you know uh when i watched this like uh with my family they were always saying like well isn't like a baptism supposed to be kind of like a rebirth rebirth. and and that's and that's definitely what they saw kind of with that last scene of it just being like a rebirth that's very painful for lars but it it, that that was almost for him and if you think about the Mm. film being like lars being able to vicariously deal with his own issues especially with like the therapist and all that and bianca just being that placeholder so he could deal with it. I think that? I told you, I think yeah. I said this while we were watching. I said, she's the spitting image of him or yeah. like her, her upbringing is the spitting image of his. Yeah. Uh, my, you know, her parents died when she was a baby, that whole thing. And just a bunch of the kind of little cues. So because of that, I think, um, 
I think you're right. I, I said baptism when we saw the scene. I was like, oh, like a baptism? But it didn't dawn on me the way you're pointing it out. So I, th I think that's a really good theory. I, I, I think, I think it's it. Lars trying to like uh, be reborn yeah. by almost letting her go. And it's, it's really interesting it. how that whole scene kind of came together. I don't know. It, it's I just wanted to bring that up because I think uh, it was meant to be kind of obscure that if you watched mm -hmm. it a few times and you would have like, why is he in the water, you know, like, especially mm -hmm. after like, you know, saying goodbye to her with the kiss, you thought it would just end at the kiss, but you know, I buy it. I buy it. I think Yokomoto, I don't know. Do you have a, well, um, no, I, 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 like, I kind of between the same, the same one that, uh, that, that you're with, uh, Michael, mm -hmm. um, but, uh, just recently I kind of, I kind of noticed that there's also this big theme of, of him seeing himself basically as a boy becoming a man because especially oh, all the struggles yeah, that he has with his brother. a lot and and so with this rebirth story, oh my god what the... yeah and with this rebirth thing at the end it could basically be his transition from boy to man and i think i think being I'm, able I'm, to uh, love someone else i'm willing i'm willing to buy i'm willing to buy the laos theory a little more especially because the supernatural like there's a church aspect to this film because they go to church and they're, they're avid church members and stuff like that um but I like your. I feel like that theory could have been explored more. Well, I feel yeah, like maybe, right now it's. A I think it was in a way because I like that's why I reacted so uh, viscerally. <laughs> but like, if you think about it, you know, he's showing her like the park that they used to play at, and you know, he's taking her around mm -hmm, everywhere, and then mm -hmm. they're going on dates and all that. And it was almost like when uh, they okay, showed yeah. Lars what a real relationship is, which it's not oh, this person loves you and sits and waits for you. And then you come back and you just have fun with her. It's like, no, this person goes and gets a job. They volunteer, they have yeah, events. Yeah. Then it's like, wait a minute. That's not what I asked for. Like and I that asked lens, for, you know. And that lens, yeah. I, I think, I and think so. And then even that conversation he has with his brother, like, uh, I heard that there's this coming of age ritual. Like how did, is it did sex? you ever do that? <laughs> yeah, like, is it sex? Like it's sex, isn't it? And it's like, it's, no, well, it's, yeah. It's, yeah, it's it is. The fact that there is <laughs> a is, yeah. sexual thing with bianca but right you know, right, an, right. An i think relationship i think the that's whole thing even, but yeah. but i think it, i think that's part of the boy theory i think that that's part of large being a boy mm -hmm. theory because his image original mentality everybody's thought is he's having sex with this doll but his original thing is oh she's extremely religious uh can she stay in this room while i stay in mine yeah um, because it because he doesn't want to complicate that relationship with sex that's part of being an adult that's part of being you know also uh, yeah. If you think about like his relationship with his family before, his father really was absent as a caregiver or somebody to give a large affection. That's kind of like right. why he's so stunted. If you think sure. about it, he just never went through like a proper kind of like upbringing or childhood or relationships or connection because he, the person taking care of him was so absent in his own yeah. grief and pain sure. and all that. So this was his way to kind of grow, you know? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's Great that's film. great, man. There's other you can that's, you that's can read movie. into this. You can really read into this film. Um, without further ado, uh, we're about we're we're a little over an hour, and I know our listeners are are itching wondering, to get home to their wives. Well, yes, no, but it, um, if you voted um for the Tower Crown, that's what we're getting into. So I think it's about that time, Mr. Yokomoto. Oh, well, it's about that time. 
Oh, all right. So for this uh, beginning of the year, uh, we decided to, since we were watching a Ryan Gosling independent film, uh, we wanted to celebrate Ryan Gosling and uh, and ask, decided to ask you guys, what was his best performance? So for the poll on the Facebook, what we put was, let me bring it up over here. So we had La La Land, Crazy Stupid Love, <laughs> Drive and the nice guys. I love that you used all the all the um, meme pictures of Ryan Gosling. <laughs> it's all his memes, just with the exception of the Notebook they're, one. Right? They're really cool. He is a meme guy. Yeah, he's a meme. He so, so what's the verdict, Mister Yogamoto? This, and this is what y'all choose, and it's gonna be Drive Against La La Land. Of course. And of course. we know that our good senor Cos, uh, Carlos is not a is not a fan of La La Land whatsoever. It's, oh, it's no, probably dude, your, fuck that your, movie. your least favorite performance <laughs> from anybody. You know, I, I'd say yeah, it's your least it's, favorite film. Yeah. I mean, it's personally who, one of my most disappointing films. Of, yeah, uh, it's it's <laughs> it's the death of ever. cinema. It's the death of cinema in you know, one movie. More like La La Schmand. Anyway, so... <laughs> We're going to have, uh, I'm moderating this time, and Mr. Yokomoto, you're up for La La Land, right? It's, it's a tough competition. Uh, I, I, could, I could do La La Land. All right. If that's what the But I can't do was. drive, so no, we're not going to do this. <laughs> you, you have to. You have to. Uh, okay, no. If, if you wish. If, if you, wish, if you, you want, you could do La La Land. But, yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll, yeah, okay. But here's it's uh, gonna be a much better match. I want somebody to prove me wrong about drive. Yes. I really do because uh, it's 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 didn't make an impact on me as much as it does on other people. So I, I want to know why. And for 2021, I'm just gonna make sure that there's clarity. I'm going to really, really be basing this one off of Ryan Gosling's performance. So mm-hmm. I, I you know go ahead and talk to me about what they did well with the direction, art style, and all that. But my points and where I want to kind of give the winner to is why you think that this one was really his best performance and highlights him either as an actor or highlights the progression as an actor. So that's that, that's how we're starting 2021. I'm going to be strict about it. Yes. You have the upper hand in, in that regard, um, Yokomoto, I might say. Um, but um, Okay, so who, right. wants to, who wants to go first on this uh, mighty adventure? Let's I'll see, kick I'll it off. Okay. Oh, oh. Okay, I'll, I'll do oh it. Oh my god, it's a Canadian standoff. Anyway. <laughs> Ow! <laughs> oh no. That's what you get for being sorry. <laughs> it's called improvisation, sir. All right, drive. <laughs> All right, so drive. Uh, I want to say uh, this, this movie, uh, just in general first, this movie is just great it oozes awesomeness uh and ryan gosling is that cherry on top of that awesomeness because mm. it is his personality his charm that uh, really brings what is mostly a silent character uh a character that doesn't even have a name he's just referred as the driver uh he especially that beginning scene where he barely has <clears throat> like any dialogue at all you are with him. You know exactly what he's in for. Uh, you know his motive. You know his uh, 
you know what he's gonna do what that he knows what he's good at mm. and that tells you everything at the beginning team and it just and his charisma just brings something that could have been lost in and anybody as a wooden actor him he brings everything he brings the whole style to this movie so here, here's the thing about drive here's my my here's what i feel like is going on with it for me i think let me put it to you this way there's a, there's a, there's a there's a fine line in in i'm gonna sound like a pretentious asshole there's a fine line between cinema and movies for me there there just is okay um, and what I mean by that is like, there's, let me, I'm going to put my dad as an example. My dad loves these action thrillers taken, you know, rush hour, you know, um, anything with Liam Neeson in it nowadays, mm-hmm. or, or, uh, the, the guy from the transporter or the transporter by that, for, for that argument. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I'd screen, I, I wouldn't screen, I wouldn't screen citizen Kane for my dad. Cause he's just not going to get it. He's not going to care. He's probably gonna fall asleep through it. Um, I screened Chinatown for him, which was a nice medium, uh, you know, so it's, it's that type of thing. I'd screen drive for him. Cause I know that's what it is. I'd screen drive for him. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't tell people to watch this film with passion. I'd say, well, you know, if you want to have a good Saturday night with your pops, watch drive. Uh, and that's, that's how I would kind of, that's how I kind of feel about driving and, and Gosling's performance. I, like I said before, I feel like, he hasn't been the guy that's convinced me he's fine and, and I like him and post La La Land, post First Man, I'll probably watch anything he does. But he's starting to be typecast um, as the silent guy. And that's what I love about him in La La Land. Um, because he's, I saw, I saw The Place Beyond the Pines very close to seeing Drive. I saw those two films probably back to back. And it's the same role. It's the quiet guy who doesn't know, you know, who knows what he's doing, knows what he's good at, who knows that he has to do something for his lifestyle to either better it. And it might be the wrong thing to do morally, but he's good at it. So he's going to do it anyways. Um, to me, there's no there's no passion there. There's no there's no sincerity in, in, the, in the role. Um, and La La Land, Seb equals passion. There's there's not a role that Gossing has played that has been as passionate as Seb. Um, <clears throat> an important note here is that Gosling was nominated for an Academy Award for La La Land for Best Acting. Um, <clears throat> Drive Drive fell into that category of like, it's a very cool cult classic for a lot of people. And if you love cinema, you love Drive. Um, and I have friends that love it and swear by it, but it wasn't, it didn't get a ton of, Academy buzz. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, Yokomoto. He didn't get a nod for Drive. Uh, <clears throat> no, he did not. <clears throat> and Gosling, even in later films, look, he did La La Land, and I'll, I'll be the first to say I love Damien Chazelle, but First Man was kind of a disappointment. <laughs> it wasn't La La Land. It was the complete opposite of La La Land, and it was Gosling going back to these the silent type roles. He plays. He plays. Um, armstrong in in that way he just plays him as the quiet silent strong silent type um i want to i want to see gossing do something different and i think la la land was that he he didn't prove to me that he's a great actor with la la land by the way he just proved to me that he could play something passionate look you could have put somebody mia mia next to seb looks young 
um seb looks like the guy in his mid-30s who just hasn't gotten over his his obsession right um but you could have put this young guy miles teller was up for the role before gosling went and it would have been believable it would have been fine i would have accepted it but gosling brought this um this undying passion in fact i'd argue that seb is more passionate than mia about what he loves and, and gosling brought that for me he brought that to the was it an oscar worthy performance i don't know um he still hasn't proved anything to me that I don't already know about the guy. But at the very least, he showed me that he he can he can be the quick, witty, dialogue-filled guy, um, and and do it eloquently. Um, he 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 he's got range, and now I know Gosling has range because of La La Land, um, something uh, that okay. Drive didn't do for me, you know. Okay, so so we we're talking about uh, <laughs> some of the personas from Ryan Gosling, right? Sure. So. Basically, the the persona that you're describing, you, uh, it's uh, more uh, quick-witted, more uh, extroverted, more out there mm -hmm. type of person. Uh, well, the <clears throat> thing is, I would give it to you that he, he is he is good in La La Land, and I, I love him in this movie. But he did it better in The Nice Guys. He's way more. He's way better quick-witted. He's he has way better comedic timing. So I'm I'm of this camp, Yokomoto. I feel the obligation to tell you. I saw the first yeah. 10 minutes of Nice Guys, and I couldn't get through it, so I, I wouldn't know. Oh, uh, uh, so you're now you're gonna judge a whole performance just by <laughs> 10 minutes where he's barely. If my girlfriend can judge me by the first 10 minutes, I think anybody can. Okay. It, it you know it's one of those movies that that oh, and I'm glad it was in the minutes. poll. I'm glad it was in the poll because I, I probably would have watched it if, if it would have won, but. Um, it's one of the, another one of those movies that when it came out, it felt like this wacky kind of side dark comedy, and I like those. You know, no, I'm really I, into I, it. I forget that you, that you don't like uh, oh, what's his name, the director. Who's the director? Who directed? Oh, it's Shane the Black. Isn't it? Yeah, Shane Black. Yeah, yeah. I forget yeah, yeah, that yeah. you don't like him. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I uh, but apart from that, the thing is that his character, though <laughs> him, he is way better of that type of character of the quick-witted uh, outgoing uh, persona mm -hmm. in uh, The Nice Guys. Mm. Now, as far as if we go at the, at the silent type, uh, the person who who's going to get this job done, Drive is the ultimate of that persona that he has. Uh, he encapsulates every single point. That's where he perfected that type of persona. Then he brought it out in his rest of the movies because... Why? Because he perfected it in that movie. And this year, the year that the drive came out, uh, it was a, a Gosling sobs. Because mm -hmm. uh, the beginning we had Crazy Stupid Love, then uh, we we had Drive, and we also had a uh, uh, The Ides of March. Mm. And <clears throat> the thing is, this was his most important role that defined him for this new era because he culminated that point of. Uh, first of all, being able to communicate mm -hmm. uh, with someone else, Carrie Mulligan in that case, right? So much with giving a smile, with giving I like Carrie uh, Mulligan a choice, uh, just a choice look, told you a lot of what his character was. I, I I think I think I think this is the perfect debate because I think you and I and Castro should have been here to to break this tie because I think. A lot of actors will, will argue that acting is, is if it's this, the more subtle, the better. And I, I'm, I agree with that depending on the story. But I think 
let me put it to you this way. Gosling has been nominated for Golden Globes, for SAG Actor Awards, for, for SAG, uh, SAG Awards, for Academy Awards. I mean, and it wasn't until La La Land that he won his first Golden Globe, his first major award. And I point that out because he's. I've only seen Gosling do this outward thing in three films. I've, I've seen him do it in The Notebook for the first act, for the first two acts. Yeah, for the first act and a half, you see him in the notebook be this outward, funny, quirky guy with uh, with uh, Kevin Connolly's character as a friend, and him hanging on to the to the 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 rail of the of the Ferris wheel. Um, it, you see him, you see him in that, and and it, it makes the notebook pleasant for that reason. Apart from the fact that Rachel McAdams is the most gorgeous creature on this earth, um, you you see that from Gosling. And then you see it again in Crazy Stupid Love, and it's like, oh, all right, he's being witty, and he's being like this guy at the bar that picks up chicks, and all right, this is fun, man. And then he teaches Corel his ways, and I like that. And then you see it in La La Land, and it's like, why aren't you doing more more like this? Why, why are you? Well, uh, he, he did do more. Uh, uh, the Nice Guys. With The Nice Guys. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. But it, it's, it's, that's, that's what I mean. But I mean, look, if you put him on the scale, he has more of the strong silent type than he does of these quick witty things. And people are recognizing, and I, let me rephrase that, critics, the academy, the industry is recognizing the quick witty ones more than the strong silent ones. And that's just on an overall big picture of Gosling's career so far. Um, in popularity, he's actually known way more by him as, as a silent persona. No, he's known as the heartthrob. He's known he's known as the heartthrob. As a heartthrob. But not always because he talks, he's a heartthrob. He can be silent and he looks he looks pretty. Isn't there isn't there we're talking about memes earlier? Isn't the meme the whole hey girl uh gosling uh, thing? (laughs) Not but no he does almost all of those memes wasn't exactly him speaking. I mean he speaks one word. Like but then again it's about him. Looking I just at think, you. I think if, if, if Gosling is in character, look, Gosling has reached superstardom, superstardom status. Okay, so he's in my eyes and at the world's eyes right now, he's a movie star. He's the heartthrob movie star. Um, and he, he I, I was glad that, you know, when he did La La Land, he, he showed this other range um, and immediately jumped back into this, this old thing, right? But He's the heartthrob movie star. That's what the world knows know, knows him as right now, um, till this day. But I think if 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 you watch an actor's career, the number one thing an actor doesn't want to do, unless you're Liam Neeson, unless you're Jason Statham, is be typecast. And if if Gosling's not, and maybe this is why he's trying to mix it up, right? Which is smart. But if he wasn't careful, he was going to be cast in that role for the rest of his life. And I wouldn't want to see him in that role for the rest of his life. I'd, I'd dismiss him. I would quickly dismiss Gosling if that's all the types of films I saw him in. But I don't dismiss him because I think the ability to show his range as somebody that could probably deliver some pretty good Sorkin dialogue, <laughs> I'm sold. You know what I mean? Um and, and it's because of films like Crazy Stupid Love and La La Land that, that does that. I mean, when you see – I mean, there's even a meme of La La Land when he's, like, telling me, like, it's 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 not background music, you know. It's chaos and it's – you know, you see the passion in, in, in Seb and you see the passion in, in him and his character for the love of jazz. I have never seen Gosling in anything like that before. But uh, if uh, – although uh, we just uh, – just kind of my last point. If we do go by uh, 
iconic characters in the end, it does go back to Drive because it is him and the persona that he has in this movie. Mm. Uh, I mean, thanks to him, everybody knows exactly how he wears that jacket, how he wears the, how he uses the, the hammer. Uh, and he become he became a, hol- a Halloween costume because everybody <laughs> knows the, the icon of what he did with that character. I, I'm, I'm going to counter that, Yokomoto, with the fact that in terms of iconic, Drive is iconic to one camp. Drive is iconic to Drive. Um, drive is iconic to Drive fans. La La Land is iconic to cinematic cinema lovers and to general audience members. So I'd point out that Seb is more iconic. Um, I, I'd argue that Seb is more iconic because of that. Because he's, I mean, not only has he become a meme, but that's disgusting being a meme, but um, his style in La La Land, how he dresses, the wool suit, the, the thin tie, it's become um, recognizable a lot more. Um, especially when you see them in the pose, in the classic La La Land pose when they're dancing on on, um, on Griffith. So I'd argue that to, to both camps, to the general audience member camp and to people who appreciate cinema, La La Land and, Goss and Seb are more iconic. And the dry fans are just the dry fans. Like that's just that one. Um, I don't want to call it a cult because it's more than a cult. It's a popular film, but it's it's just the dry fans, you know. I, I would believe you there, but the thing is that the drive actually was a big hit when it came out. Actually, a lot of people went to see this movie. Okay, and I so, mean, yeah, I, I don't, I, I don't deny cast. that. Okay, are you ready okay. for the final question? I guess on my end to kind of yeah help for tie-breaking um how necessary was gosling for your film awesome like, do you how- want to do it or do i necessary yeah <laughs> <laughs> how how much do you feel like this could not be played by anybody else and that's that's why it, like this is gosling like like it, you needed him for this part like you said um well, I'm not going to say anything else, but yeah, yeah, that's my question. Because right now we're at a tie. I'll say that much. Do uh, Do you want to go? Uh, oh, I go. Uh, you go for it. Go for it, Yoko. Canadian standoff. Right. Break it. <laughs> All right. The reason why I believe uh, Ryan Gosling was necessary for this role mm-hmm. is that the simple fact that his charm and his ability to to attract people to him uh, is way important if you're gonna have a character that's gonna be silent that has to be sturdy uh, and if it wasn't for his ability to attract people to to him to actually take him to this journey from uh, vengeance, love, and I mean the action of uh, uh, this journey <laughs> of violence, uh, if it was going to be some someone someone that was going to keep someone's attention, uh, the audience's attention was going to be this person, Ryan Gosling. I, I will I will say this, Yokomoto, about Drive. I feel like, if I'm being quite honest, I feel like anybody could play that role. Anybody who's in action, I feel Mark Wahlberg could play this role. I feel, no. you know, fucking, um, what's his name? Uh, Dwayne Johnson could have played this role. But no, no, let me finish my sentiment. They could have, anybody could have played this role. Any action star could have played this role. But 
Gosling brought it to a respectable movie standard. And that's what I mean. Like there, there is a, there's a difference between yeah, but it but anybody could have played it. The 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 story could have been the same with anybody playing it. What I mean, and I feel when a movie becomes a classic, a movie becomes a classic when people are talking about it immediately after they see it and years after. And um, though Drive has that, La La Land has become like this staple amongst Hollywood producers and amongst Hollywood actors and amongst people who who love cinema and love musicals. Um, and it's like saying, what if Humphrey Bogart, could, could Humphrey Bogart be replaced by Clark Gable for Casablanca? No, you can't. Um, you can't because it's a classic film. It's, it's, it's a staple in Hollywood. La La Land has been fast-tracked to be a staple in Hollywood. Um, it's, 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 sure, Drive, may, um, Drive was probably discussed as one of the best films of that year. And there's a following and people respect it and people love it. But La La Land is going to be talked about for years to come. And, and a lot of people, not myself, I will admit, a lot of people argued that Gosling should have won the Oscar for La La Land. He was nominated at the end of the day. Um, there was more better performances that year. I'm glad, I'm glad Casey Affleck won, actually. Um, we, we should talk about Manchester by the Sea in this podcast, by the way. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's going to be a staple in Hollywood for years to come. And you can't have a staple in Hollywood with all, without the components one of the two main components is Gosling. Um, uh, quick you answer, can't have it. Answer. You can't have La La Land without it. Almost immediately, uh, 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 the month after this movie came out, La La Land came out, there was tremendous backlash because of, for a lot of people, Ryan Gosling was not the perfect fit. I'm, I'm wondering why. Because, because I think Gosling as an actor... This movie was formative for him for future films. And let me say why. This is my last point. He learned how to dance for this film. Took extensive months. Extensive months to play the piano. There was no piano extra. There was no secondhand extra. He played the piano for all the scenes. Live. Uh, for mo- live for the most part. Um, he, he, he brushed up on his singing. Because, I mean, if you don't know, Gosling was part of the Mickey Mouse Club as a kid. He sang, he danced, he did it all. Um, and you can find a video, by the way, of Gosling dancing as like a fucking 13-year-old or whatever. It's kind of <laughs> funny. But anyways, um, he was like a like a break dancer. Anyways, um, all of these skills refined him as an actor more than Drive did. All of these skills have now presented – if he wants to go to a Broadway show tomorrow, he can. He has the discipline. He has the skills. Um, he didn't. You you didn't have to have the voice of Frank Sinatra to play Seb, because that wasn't the role. It wasn't about the voice. It was about the character and singing how the character is feeling internally. So I think all of these skills refined Gosling to be a better actor, and therefore make a great cinematic film. I don't think I don't think driving a Mustang for two hours refined his skills as an actor. <laughs> <clears throat> uh, it was way more than that. You know. Mic drop. <laughs> I know, man. That's Come my on, final. You know, no, no, no. Okay, go ahead. That's my final thing. I, I, I know I'm right. <laughs> and all I'm gonna, all I'm gonna say yeah, to finalize. I, know I'm I right. love the confidence. I love the confidence, Yoko. Please. Uh, all I'm gonna say to finalize my point is, fuck you. I'm right. 
Nice. Is that is that from the film? <laughs> no. Oh, that's just okay. that's just the Yokomoto that's just, exclusive, that's just me, right? That's just fuck me. All right. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Señor right. Azul. Señor Azul. Gracias. I understood <laughs> that. Um, well, you did get a B in Spanish. I did get a B in Spanish. That's why it took so long for me to hear Azul. <laughs> I heard this. <laughs> ah, man, you. Well, you while guys, he tallies you... up, what do you, uh, Austin? What do you like to give an opinion? No, because you, you don't, don't want, want his opinion. opinion. Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, like we to saw Drive together, I think. Right, Austin? Um, I think we saw Drive I'm together. Sure. I guess you didn't like Drives? <laughs> you just don't want to hear my opinion. Uh, I'm guessing we're going to hear it after I tally the results. Yeah, so, ask his opinion uh, after. Yeah, uh, it's, it's, it's just like... Uh, I'll say it was pretty strong on both sides. Like... I mean, uh, out of uh, honestly, like the, both of these movies, I really like. Uh, I really love these both movies yeah. for different same reasons, here, but I do here. love and these both movies. I, I, I'll, okay. I'll say mine after the tally. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm just sad that uh, the nice guys wasn't wasn't picked because man, that's my favorite. I, I, look, it's another one of those things I need to give another shot to, dude. I just. Not a big Shane Black guy, minutes. and I, a Gerald Butler is. I see him as that, you know, action guy too. So I don't know. I need. I need to rewatch it. I need to rewatch it. All right. So the telly is in. Oh, are we ready? Barber. Drum roll, and please. The winner is. Really? Yes. Wow. <laughs> oh, what do you know? It stopped recording like half an hour ago. And we just lost all that. I think we need to redo the, the debate. Uh, you know what? I'm not surprised, but I'm also a little disappointed, man. I, I, I feel like. All right. What's yeah. What's the verdict? About? See, the thing is, I, I, I feel like, okay, well, for drive, I mean, I gave points for the fact that, you know, there, there is something to be said about it, an actor exploring his range, trying things that are out of his comfort zone. But there's also something to be said as far as points on refining that to the point that when you're being thought of for other films, you can shortlist an actor for somebody who can do that archetype really well. For as much as we want to say that that's not something that, um, like, like anybody could jump into that role, he did it to a point where it brought iconicism to the film. And it's something that brings iconicism to that type of character type that you would go and look at that for that kind of study. You're seeing range here in, you know, La La Land. I mean, you're bringing up Oscar nods. And I mean, a lot of what brings that kind of iconicism to the film is just the fact that the film's really well put together from cinematography, choreography, everything else. But it's not like he's standing out as being like essential for that role. Or at least you didn't fight for it enough there. Yeah. You yeah. you fought you fought for Seb's character, and that's that's one thing. But you didn't fight for Ro uh, Gosling being Seb, and you you made it so hard at the very end because, yeah, I mean the fact that he did push himself to the limit as far as like what he could learn, his range, the abilities he has and what people are seeing that, you know, there's more life in him than just the silent guy uh, role that, that made it really difficult. But the fact that, you know, the, he's so iconic for drive and it's, it's really one of those things that anybody else could have played and it would have brought the film down further what it, where it would have been talked about less. I mean, you kind of shot yourself in the foot by saying he made it where then it could be talked about as far as like a good film audience, you know, where it's not yeah. just yeah. action and all that. So yeah, 
it was a really hard toss up, but I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to give the drive. Get the okay. drive. Fair enough. Fair enough. I mean, like I said, it's, it's, it's one of those things where I, I was going to lose. I'm, I'm not, I'm, last I'm, argument was good. It was really I'm, good, uh, but you shot yourself in the foot. I mean, I, I'm going to be honest, you know, I'm going to be honest in, in those moments, you know, it's give credit where credit is due. Um, I'm, uh, I'm notorious for not liking films that a lot of people love. So it doesn't surprise me. It's just drive just didn't do it for me, man. It didn't. Yeah. I like something that uh, Alejandro from, uh, from Rebels uh, said on the other podcast. Like when we talked about Casablanca and Citizen Kane, he's like, you know what, man? Casablanca just floats my bo- boat more than Citizen Kane does, and it's it's just that route. I, I don't know. Just Drive doesn't do it for me. It, also, if you think about it, staying true to the Tower Crown, it's not the films that are these beautiful masterpieces, but it's the people who are able to enjoy it more. You know, we sure, didn't win sure. like Sometimes, 2001: Space yeah. Odyssey and Gravity. It, the win went to gravity and it's just because it was something that people could connect with more than two. Right. That's, that's the motto of the tower crown is it's not necessarily the best film. It's, it's who argues what's better. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, no, you know what? Um, I have a lot of friends that will punch me in the nuts for saying that La La Land is better than drive. I do. One of them being Eric <laughs> Sanchez and Francisco and all these guys. Um, but I, I don't care. That's just what floats my boat more, man. It's <laughs> hey, just, it's, opinion it is, is it opinion. Is. And that's why we're here. We're here yeah. to love movies. All right, all right. Beautiful sentiment to end the show there, Mr. Yokomoto. We're here to love movies. Um, thank you guys for listening in. This one ran a little long. Um, if you're a fan of uh, or a supporter, I should say, of the show, um, then you don't care. So we appreciate that. Um, <laughs> if you. you're not and you're barely listening to this hour and 45 episode, then we apologize. We're sorry. <laughs> thank you as well because it, it means a lot that you, that you actually took a time to listen to this part. Yeah, yeah you no, put this we, on while sweeping the kitchen. Thank you for sweeping just a little bit longer to finish the there episode. There you go. And I love that we can <laughs> coin the word sweeping now. Sweeping. Um, <laughs> Thank you guys for tuning in. Remember that you can listen to this show on any major podcast platform, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Thank you for (laughs) tuning in on YouTube and Facebook as well. Make sure to share this. Guys, share the Towercast Network. Check out the Instagram. Uh, That's where all the news is going up, especially this year. We're kind of almost strictly transitioning to the Towercast Network uh, because we got more film announcements for Tower Productions as in terms of filmmaking. So that's coming up on the Tower Productions site. But on the Towercast Network, make sure to check that out. Share with your friends, man. If you love cinema and if your friends love cinema, then hopefully they'll enjoy the show. So make sure to check that out. I want to thank my lovely co-hosts, uh, Christian Yokomodo Medina, Michael Delao, Austin Young for being in here. Castro, we missed you, buddy. But uh, we'll see you on the next one. We're, we have a very exciting episode, um, um, mostly because it's my pick. Haha. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, uh, and it's the most pretentious. My my f- film choices are the most pretentious. So take that how you will. Um, I, I like this. I like that we're finally <laughs> figuring out our flow. You're the most pretentious. Yeah. I'm the hidden gems. Yokomoto is just yeah, they're great films. The, we can't complain. We can't deny <laughs> yeah. the greatness. Yeah, we can't deny the greatness. And Austin, you know, like it, we got a we got a perfect team right here. Look at I'm that. pretty sure and Austin's gonna bring Castro. in Tenet at some point. He's gonna want to do Tenet, and I think we should. Well, that episode's going to be completely inverted, so. Oh, great. Oh, my God. Just to spite people. <laughs> Thank you for tuning into the Watchtower podcast. Keep watching cinema. We'll see you next time. Take care, everybody.